Randy Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer, on News Talk STL. And according to economists, this is going to be uh, ease inflationary pressure, not increasing, ease inflationary pressures by lowering costs for working families. Child care would also be a huge relief at a time of crisis. One of the re- other reasons why it's so important to get that those child care provisions through is that's also going to help with inflation. Is this $1.9 trillion bill going to help with inflation? This is utter rubbish, what you've just played. Inflation is always a monetary phenomenon. It's how much money the Federal Reserve and the commercial banking system is creating. And they've got so much money excess in the monetary bathtub right now that no matter what they do, if they if they completely cut the spigot off and didn't put anything in, we'd still have a big inflation problem that will last through 2024. Welcome back to the Tobler Show as we roll along here in the third hour. And Virginia Kruta joins us to talk about inflation. Virginia of the Daily Wire now, formerly Daily Caller. Um, and that was, uh, Virginia, that was a, a little montage of the somehow the, the administration trying to make sense of spending 1.7, actually $4 trillion when you amortize it out uh, right, right. Uh, over the next 10 years. And that was an inflation expert and economics professor, Steve Hank, telling Aaron Burnett, this is going to last to 2024. Help me unpack the reality here. Is this short term? Is it long term? What do you say? Well, whether or not it's short term or long term is really going to depend on how long we allow the what's going on now to persist. So what the situation and and you keep hearing, you know, President Biden and others of his surrogates blaming the pandemic for the inflation. The pandemic is not the cause of the inflation. It's the government's response to the pandemic that's the cause that has contributed to inflation. So what you have is a lot of people who weren't working because the government told them they couldn't work. And so you have a shortage of goods. And this is not just the United States. You had governments all over the world telling their people that they couldn't work. So not only are we not producing, there's nothing for us to import because other people aren't producing either. So you have a shortage of goods. So you've got a a shortage on the supply side anyway. And we all know the supply chain issues that are continuing right now. Then you add in a government infusion of money. And so you have a lot of money, but not a lot of stuff you can buy with it. And that's going to drive prices up, which is where you get the inflation. But you can't fix that by giving people more money. You can only fix that by going to the supply side and making sure that you're unclogging the government red tape, allowing people to produce. All of those things are how you're going to fix that side. And so you can't you can't undo and there's no quick fix for it because the problem that you've created is bigger than one that that would respond to a quick fix. But giving people more money is not the answer. And that's all that the government can do. God bless you for recognizing that and and 
and really making that very clear statement that you need in order to unclog the system. And I think we knew there was going to be a little lag when the pent up demand was unleashed. And then there was going to be a little lag because inventories were down. Shippers were not as staffed for a number of reasons, including lack of demand because of lack, you know, for, from the wholesalers and in turn the retailers. But the regulatory oppression and the tyranny to try to do business in this country uh, on both the federal and on many of the blue state sides and where are those blue states on the port uh, states, right? <laughs> um, that yeah. is a big and often unheralded cause of the whole problem here. I'm so thankful you brought that up. I really am. Yeah, that, that's been the big thing for me. Like you have all this money. I mean, the, the whole point is that everything costs more, right? And if all you have is money and you don't have more stuff for people to buy, the demand is high because people are going to, if they have money, they want to buy stuff. And if you don't have the supply, you can charge anything you want. Yeah, it, it's yeah. like, um, uh, what is it? W- whatever the, whatever the toy of the year is that everybody mm-hmm. wants the morning after Thanksgiving, whether yes. it's, you know, I'm going to date myself when I say this, but. You know, the Furby, the Tickle Me Elmo, even go back as far as the Cabbage Patch Kids. You know, how expensive were they because there weren't enough of them? You You can charge anything you want for it. And that's what's happening. Only it's happening with, you know, ground beef and milk and things that everybody actually needs. You know, you see that same thing happening when there's a shortage anywhere else. And it's unfortunate because, you know what, if it's Tickle Me Elmo... The average American can get by for a year, 10 years without ever buying one of those, you know, but the problem is that the inflation is impacting and it's, you know, you also have to tie in the fact that we're talking about shutting down another pipeline, another pipeline that is going to control whether or not people in the northern and the north central United States can heat their homes. Well, you can sure hear kind of inflation that we can't eat up. That's right. Those core things, the the things that people cannot do without, right? Energy, so forth. But it's it's so sinister. I mean, I I'm not normally a a tinfoil hat guy, Virginia. I mean, I don't think most right. reasonable people on the right and conservatives are. But you can't help but wonder if it's not sinister in their strategic planning to bring us to our knees economically to where we need more government. And it actually is designed to be a Marxist turnover of this country or takeover of this country where it's like, we're going to make you guys suffer so much that there's no one else, nowhere else to turn, but to us. So you better pull the, the lever for us because without us, you won't be able to drive without us. You won't be able to put bacon and milk and eggs and bread on your table. And I hate to say that, but I, I can't, I can't package it any other way. Can you? Well, you know, you, we've already heard Jen Saki. I think it was yesterday say something about um, the, the rise in gas prices was a good reason to double down on green energy initiatives. The and remember uh, Barack Obama said it when he was running for president that the, the idea was to make coal so expensive that yeah, people didn't yeah. want it and they opted for green energy instead. Mm-hmm. So there is there is reason for the tinfoil hat. I'll put it that way. Like not, <laughs> not necessarily 
Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. there, there is a reason to assume that there's a cloward in heaven destroy the system. So that <laughs> You're right. Cars. That's kind funny. Of, I told my wife but, the other night, I said, Cloward and Pivens, it's back. Where are you, Glenn Beck? I mean, you know, because I remember Glenn Beck. It's the same. It's the oh, same saying thing Cloward and Pivens giving us all that lesson. It's, I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. And who was it? Someone the other day was saying that by 2050 or whatever, there, we are 2030, we won't have any more coal plants. Sure. Well, that's going to really, that's going to really swing Joe Manchin to want to want to pull the lever in favor of the bucket budget reconciliation, right? <laughs> what are they think thinking? It, it is. It is interesting. Yeah, I don't know if you saw what Corey Bush said about him when when uh, infrastructure right before the infrastructure bill passed. She was saying that, basically calling him a racist because he didn't yes. support the uh, the the larger spending bill. And and so the strategy to win him over seems to be to insult him until he. I, I'm not sure why they think that's going to work. Like. Yeah. Oh, you're not on our side? Well, we'll insult you until you are. You know, the beatings will continue until morale improves. I don't know why they think this is an effective strategy. <laughs> well, and then, you, 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 but you have you have to wonder, Virginia, and we're talking with Virginia Cruda, at VA Cruda uh, on Twitter, um, and now on the Daily Wire. When are we going to be able to read some of your stuff? When's that going to start appearing on the, on the Wire's website? I would assume either very late next week or the beginning of the following week. Okay. So just well, you know, the week before Thanksgiving, um, yeah. because I ha I have to go do I have to do all the the hiring paperwork yeah. and everything next yeah. week. And well, we hope that so yeah, we it'll hope take that a few days to get to firing on all cylinders. Yeah, we'll be well. We'll be giving thanks for your uh, for your writings. Uh, you know, very very <laughs> soon, but. Um, you know, I, we were playing earlier. We played the Adam Schiff sound where he says, you know, that Trump was ex inciting an erection. And then we played Joe Biden using oh, the word Negro relating to Satchel Page. We had we had Jennifer Granholm laughing when a CNBC analyst, uh, you know, a, a talking uh, head asked her about the, the crushing gas prices. We have Kamala Harris going crazy over in Europe when she's talking about inflation and she starts talking about watching right. TV. And. I think this is a psychological, um, these gaffes are a, are a psychological sign of stress. And somewhere in their rational mind, deep, deep, maybe subliminally, they realize that they have gone off the tracks and they are headed for a head-on collision with a, with a brick wall. But their political and power-hungry minds forces them to continue to be seeking the spotlight and doubling down on this because of their ever smaller echo chamber. And the, the cognitive dissonance there is leading to these unforced uh, communication gaps. Is that, what do you think of that analysis? I'm going to put on your psychoanalyst hat there. Well, you know, I, th I think that they don't, a lot of the, the nervous laughter that you see from places like uh, Kamala Harris and, and from Jennifer Granholm now, I think they don't expect hard questions. They've gone through life as Democrats and in the media, uh, the, the media landscape that we have in, in this country right now, they don't go on unfriendly stations. It's not like they're mm -hmm. talking to Fox. You know, they're not mm -hmm. talking to Newsmax. They're talking to CNBC. They're talking right. to, you know, CNN. And this nerve, they're not expecting the hard questions. And I think to the credit of some of these media organizations, they're seeing the writing on the wall and they're asking the hard questions because they know the American people are asking those questions at home. So, yeah, like, yeah. what's going to happen with the gas prices when they ask Jennifer Granholm that? And she made the Obama mistake 
of saying, well, I don't have a magic wand. Well, what happened when Obama said that? Trump got elected, and guess what? He did have one. It was yes. get rid of the red tape, you know. And and realistically, I think people watching Jennifer Granholm know that if you get rid of the red tape, you yeah. allow Americans to produce, you know, to to produce yeah. oil in this country. I mean, we were a net exporter until Biden took office. Yeah. And well, I think of a. And, I think of a. Of a. Of a we're not. Yeah, is because we. We shot ourselves in the foot. I think of a, like the the Tour de France. You know, could you picture the lead bicyclist, Greg LeMond, leading the pack on the final leg of the Tour de France? So Greg LeMond leading the pack at the Tour de France, and then suddenly he takes a stick off of a tree that he's passing and sticks it in his the spokes of his wheel just to keep it fair. That's what that's what Joe Biden did. He totally ruined what was a, the most successful energy policy this country's ever seen. Right. Economically we were rolling and and I think boy I, I'm, I don't know about you Virginia but I'm talking to more and more people that they won't come out and say it but you know they vote they're, they're middle maybe maybe center left maybe even a little center right and they just didn't like Trump's uh, you know style. And um, I'm mm-hmm. talking about a lot of these suburban folks, you know, and they're embarrassed. They are so embarrassed and they yeah. have buyer's remorse. And it's like, hey, so I know who they are. And I'll say, hey, so what do you think about mm-hmm. this? The gas prices, the borders, everything. Hey, you know, Biden really, really hitting it out of the park, huh? Well, um, I don't know. Yeah, How about them Cardinals? Oh, how those blues doing? You know, <laughs> it's tough to it's tough to admit yeah. when you really when you really shot yourself in the foot, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it, it's. It's difficult. Um, I think that, and there are people out there that are doubling down on it too, because there's, it's it's very hard to admit when you've been duped, and yes. they they bought this, they bought this narrative that Biden tried to sell that he was going to be a moderate, and you know there were plenty of people who warned that no no he's not a moderate, and even if Biden personally might be a moderate. He's not being controlled by moderates, and make no mistake, he is being controlled. You know, this is so. It's it's very hard to admit when you've made the wrong choice, and so there are a lot of people out there, I think, who maybe aren't going to say it out loud. That yeah. you know, I I don't. This was this was not a wise choice on my part, and I know that there are a lot of people. I mean, people in in my orbit who were just they just didn't vote they were so burned out in 2020 of if they supported trump being demonized by anybody they admitted it to Uh or or they were you know unhappy with the way that he spoke or the way that he acted and and thought that you know if the mean tweets stopped we'd be okay and you know i've never been of the i've always been of the opinion that that if if you know, the mean tweets were the problem that we'd have a lot more problems because there are a lot of people out there making mean tweets. You know, what Trump wasn't by himself in that. And he was, you know, the right wasn't alone in that. This is, I mean, the things that you see on Twitter aimed at conservatives or, oh my gosh, if you ever read my direct messages sometimes, you know, it's it's awful. I hear you. Things that they'll say because you disagree politically. It's not unique to the right, and it's certainly not unique to Trump. And getting rid of him did nothing to cool the discourse. No, so you're right. I, I don't know why people thought that that was a solution. Um, and actually, I, th- I think it benefited him, and it benefited um, people like Glenn Youngkin because there right. was no outward 
you know, there there was no very visible Trump support of Youngkin. I think that helped him because right. he didn't he wasn't tied to that to the to the explosive rhetoric that people were so offended by. Yeah, I believe that's the secret sauce going forward. And I, I that's the last, uh, before we leave you, I, I'd really like your analysis and, and advice because I, I didn't get a chance to ask Douglas Murray uh, the other night at the Show Me Institute and National Review and News Talk STL event. He was fabulous, by the way. Um, but I am worried about Republicans slash conservatives slash people on the sensible right <laughs> um, mm-hmm. overplaying what was a, a stunning victory in this last election, a stunning message to, I think, the left, and and getting too much swagger, spiking the ball before you've crossed this finish line, use whatever metaphor you right. want. Um, what would be your cautionary tale to to people who are saying, "Ah, this is a done deal, no problem, we got this." I mean, because I, I think there's some danger there if we if we overplay us what sure. is now, I think, a very strong hand. I I think the key is that it. it I mean, obviously, mo- in most elections, you have the hard left who's going to vote Democrat no matter what. You have the hard right who's going to vote Republican no matter what, and then you've got the people in the middle, and those are the people that you need to talk to. And I think it is very important to remember, and I think this is really what drove the election in Virginia and in other places, you know, this last week or so. Um, There are a lot of people who feel like they were forgotten even after 2020 because they had kids who were out of school for a year and now they're being told, you don't get a say in your child's education. Mm -hmm. Well, these are people who maybe didn't even know what their kids were learning on a daily basis. Because you have two-parent working households who don't always see every homework assignment. Well, then you have a pandemic that puts those kids in your in your living room while they're doing those assignments. And maybe uh-huh. you're in your living room because it's now your office and you're not working outside the home anymore. And you get a front row seat to see what exactly they're bringing home every day. And now you're concerned about it. Well, so of course you want to get involved and you want to understand how you get involved. And... You don't want to hear from anybody running for any office. Well, we don't want you involved. Right. So I think that that uh, capitalizing on parents who are either newly or have renewed concern for what their kids are learning, for what their kids are being exposed to every day. I think that that's something that we really need to focus on because every parent cares what their kids are learning, whether they're on the left, the middle, the right, doesn't matter. They all care about how their kids are being talked to at school, what they're learning, what they're bringing home, what values they're bringing home. And I think that it's important to remind those parents that we want to, we don't want to take over your voice. You know, if you're running for office, we want to amplify your voice and when you see more people and that typically tends to be on the right because we want more parental involvement and less government. So you, if you, if you capitalize on that and, and invite feedback from parents rather than trying to shut it down, I think that that's going to be the key going forward, especially in local elections. And realistically, eventually all politics is local. 
So right. that's that's right. what you got to remember. And, and I think yeah, and I think that's a that's a real allegory. What's happened to our education system? When I talk with people about healthcare that are arguing mm-hmm. for universal healthcare, or you know, well, I'm just getting tired of this or that and the way things are going with my insurance, and I just as soon have the government take care of it. I remind them I'm 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 riffing on the education thing. How do, how'd that work out for you with the government getting involved? The federal government increasingly are the state government increasingly involved in the way your kids are educated. How'd that work out for you now that you know more about it yeah. as you just described? Well, if you want the government involved in your health care, that's great. In the UK, that that government takes care of your of your uh, ophthalmology cares. But by the way, did you know that over there you have to go blind from macular degeneration in one eye before you can get an injection in the other? Did you know that the outcomes for breast cancer diagnoses are much worse over there than they are here? How's mm-hmm. that big government working out for you? Think that through and use these metaphors so uh, so effectively. Hey, uh, Virginia, yeah. always great analysis. And uh, I, by the way, I hope if anyone knows Virginia and uh, you know wants to donate a deer, I, we heard earlier she'd like to have some venison. <laughs> so I think we can do that. <laughs> and uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, and we look forward to another visit next week as you uh, as you transition to the Daily Wire. Thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend, Sounds Virginia. Good. All right, Thank there you, she is, too. Virginia Cruder at VA Cruda. We'll be right back with more on the Tober Show. The number is three one four nine one two one zero one nine. Your thoughts on inflation, jobs. Um, and the coming election season, how are you going to handle it? Are you going to double down on MAGA, Trump, uh, there was nothing wrong with January 6th? Or are you going to back off a little bit, especially when you're talking to more moderates? How are you going to handle the inevitable unavoidable upcoming holiday discussions around the table because you know we're going to discuss politics around the table going to happen back with more after this why would you think that that made it okay for you without any advance notice to bring this matter before the jury you are already you were i I was astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. And it gives, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So I don't know what you're up to. Well, there was Judge Bruce Schroeder in the Rittenhouse trial taking the prosecutor to the woodshed. I'm glad, I'm glad he's not my dad. When I was a teenager. Whoa, whoa. Oh, man. I don't know what you're up to. (laughs) But, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but from everything I've read from the lawyers, it's like you, you don't. He tried to use Rittenhouse's constitutional right not to incriminate himself and to remain silent between his arrest and, you know, the trial, I guess against him just to basically imply that was an admission of guilt or whatever i even i know that's probably not a good thing to criticize a use of your constitutional right when you're an accused right probably not a smart thing and 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 that just makes me think about i i posted on on veterans day about how bittersweet this Veterans Day was for me. I didn't post all day because I didn't know what to post. I didn't know whether to do the traditional thank you all the veterans for all you've done. Yeah, absolutely. And all the service members. What a wonderful service to our country. Or whether to say why in the world would you fight for this country where it's gone to now? And I don't mean that in that way totally, but it was bittersweet for me because I wanted to emphasize how at this time with this erosion of our constitutional rights and this acceleration in centralization and socialization of our 
economy and our, and our very culture, how sad it is at the same time that people lost their lives, they sacrificed family time if they didn't die. I mean, I have a daughter who's a military mom, service member's wife. And I, I see the sacrifice that goes on in families, and I know the ripple effects of a service member. It's not just about that service member. It's about the, the the sacrifice and the hardship that the family goes through and the extended family, the moms, the dads, the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents, the sons, the daughters, the spouses. And just like the people as we left Afghanistan, a lot of veterans were so bitter. It's like, why did I fight for it? And then this, this embarrassing America dishonoring way of doing this. What what was it all about? We had a guest on who is very poignant interview, uh, uh, the, the husband of a, of a nurse I work with. And I thought, now more than ever, we need to commit to to not letting them tread on us. Now more than ever, we need to be soldiers, if not with arms and with stripes and with fatigues and with camo. We need to be soldiers in defense of liberty. We need to be we need to be evangelists for liberty. We need to say, darn it, what's brought us to this dance at this time in this country and what gives us the prosperity we have, even though we may not feel very prosperous with inflation at 6.2%, the highest in decades, and no end in sight, we can we can because of our liberty and because of our freedom to innovate and adapt and find a way through the fog. And find a way out of the forest into the bright light on the other side. If you'll just let us alone, just let us be. But I'll caution that it also means, and I'm going to use a military metaphor here to honor our service members and our families that supported them. It takes one heck of a lot of discipline to accomplish the mission. And sometimes conservatives in the last cycle and in the last support of our president for all of his good policy decisions we weren't disciplined we couldn't separate the policy from the behavior enough to say hey we honor your policies we don't honor the behavior and those of you on the left we continue to evangelize for freedom for free markets for small government a limited government but we disdain the behavior that is boastful, that is denigrating of others unnecessarily. Oh, there's a time to denigrate. Adam Schiff deserves to be called out and denigrated for his for his behavior, for his lies. Okay. And going forward, we need to be very careful. You know, earlier we talked about if you're just joining us, you're listening to the Randy Tobler Show, 1019-941 News Talk STL, where we talk the truth and we always celebrate our freedom and our liberty. But going forward, and I think Virginia maybe touched on this, but I want to really emphasize it. Our don't tread on me flag and the stars and stripes and those principles for which our service members who we just honored a couple days ago fought for also means as service members don't leave anyone behind in the theater. They don't leave people behind because they respect others and they have one another's back. Even if they may be trans or gay or black or white or whatever, and you may disagree with them, when you're in the field and you're fighting, you have one another's back and you respect one another and you make sure that whatever you do in the fight for 
liberty and freedom also has the other side of that don't tread on me flag, and that's I won't tread on you. So we can't tell Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, hey, leave me alone, I'll do what I want to do, and then go throw trash on our neighbor's lawn. That doesn't make, that doesn't compute. Why is it okay for me to say don't tread on me, but I'm okay to tread on you? It's okay for me to to, to walk into an emergency room with no, with no expectation that I'm going to pay my bill, but expect care. Why is it okay for me to be able to yell in your face and cuss you out and denigrate you just because you disagree with me? Is that right? Would I expect that treatment from you? Would, would I want you to tread on me because you disagree with my opinion? So let's have a big golden ruler going forward. Big, fat, wide, long golden ruler. I couldn't agree more, Doc. From your words to the bumper sticker's ears. <laughs> I'm just really worried about that. We Matt. do have a, a caller here, a caller Eric, who would like to comment on the Rittenhouse trial, if you want to talk to let's Eric really that. quick. Yep. Hey, right, Eric, how you doing? Good. Welcome to the program. Hi, Doc. Hi, Dr. Tobler. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for calling. Uh... I'm going to start off real quick by giving you a plug. My wife misses you very much. She was a longtime former patient of yours. <laughs> ah, well, but, thanks for that. I appreciate that. I miss a lot of my former patients. <laughs> but uh, this uh, this Rittenhouse trial, I, I think two things that I've I've taken out of it is number one, um, I know that you have the right to be uh, judged by your peers in the jury. Um, but for quite a while now, I think that I speak for a lot of people when I say that it's almost an impossible feat to have a jury selected that is not biased and that is not tainted uh, with all the social media out there now. Uh, mm-hmm. Outside of living in, a, in an Amish community, you're not you're just I, I can't imagine finding an unbiased jury. And frankly, the judge um, admonishing the prosecutor the way that he did, I, I applaud that judge because what he did was he made it clear in his clo- in his courtroom he's not going to let politics leak into his proceedings, and he's not going to allow you know somebody to just flat out have their way. I mean, this, the prosecutor, the DA knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing was wrong, and sure. he did it because he knows he's got a losing case. So it was a Hail yeah, Mary. Was, right. It, yeah. was, it was a roll of the dice, and I think he said it, and he went into it going, well, you know, if a mistrial, if a mistrial is granted uh, with prejudice, oh, well, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm frankly going to lose anyway. Uh, but, but what really disgusts me about this and, and I think I'm sure you, you, you gentlemen have followed it, it is again, the media, um, still to this day, uh, your, your, your far left leaning CNN, MSNBC, they, they still have people that are on there trying to press the narrative that mm-hmm. Kyle Rittenhouse crossed state lines with a gun that was proven to be wrong. He, he 
he purchased it in Wisconsin. Uh, they still try to press the narrative that he's a domestic terrorist. Uh, he's a white supremacist. You know, so we, we talk about the government, but we also have to hold the media accountable. And, and I really wait for the day uh, that a lawyer such as Kyle Rittenhouse's starts going after these people and holding them accountable because one of the laws we still have in this country is you cannot slander somebody. And that's exactly what these news media people, congressmen and women are doing. They're going onto the air, the public airways, onto their stage to smear somebody's name that is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. You're right. And I hope like the like, like that uh, young man who won a what a million several million dollar settlement from uh, from CNN uh, during the Washington D.C. protest there outside the Lincoln Memorial. I hope that if Rittenhouse is acquitted, that they go after all of these media outlets and uh, and that young man gets some uh, gets some upcomings. You know, needs to happen. Hey, Eric, thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Well said, my friend. Well said. It's being reported that that judge. He's getting hundreds of death threats, hundreds of death threats. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a problem in this country. If we can't self-regulate our anger, we can express it. We can be frustrated. We can even be angry. We can raise our voice. That's okay. I've had a death threat because I said on a major national news network that President Biden made a mistake on the mandate for health care facilities and he was going to be and it was going to backfire. Simply stated, it was going to threaten our ability to take care of patients. I've had a death threat. And you know why we don't have any any our flagging face faith in our law enforcement system? It's not about the policeman. It's not about the, the beat, the guy on the beat or the gal. It's about the, the problem that if they bring that, that's a felony. A specific death threat is a felony. Those need to be rooted out. They need to be put in jail, for all I'm concerned, in a rock pile and taught you don't do that to people. Hey, we're back, and Max is playing Earth, Wind, and Fire because yes. the Earth is uh, having a lot of wind and fire. I and didn't know if you'd pick up on that. Very nice. I, oh, I, uh, I'm, I'm smarter than the old boy looks, let me tell you. Once in a while, you know, a blind squirrel finds a nut. Well, I uh, love talking to biologists because I am one myself, and uh, some biologists go on to become national explorers, national geographic explorers, and assistant professors of integrative biology at University of Colorado Denver. Others become, you know, radio, radio talk show hosts and gynecologists. So look at what happens. Brian Buma joins me now at Brian underscore Buma on Twitter, and uh, he's the author of a new book, The Atlas of a Changing Climate. How you doing, Brian? Thanks for being with me. I'm- yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for the invite. Really appreciate it. How are things in uh, Denver today? Is the powder there yet or not? No, no you know, it's been a really dry and warm fall. Um, yeah. Right now, it's about 60 degrees and windy. It's yeah. uh, it's way warmer than normal at the moment. You know, we've been uh, oh, we've been diving since well, the, the early 80s, and um, down in Cozumel is one of our favorite places because yeah. easy to get there and relatively affordable. And the Palancar Reef is a is a world class reef, but it's become less world class over the last couple trips um, seems to not be thriving when we fly over the Yucatan Peninsula over the over the little uh, you know ocean there between uh, Cancun and Cozumel we see great mounds of 
algae uh, it's like this floating stuff and then it ends up on the beaches and but that's only in the last five six ten years maybe that we've seen that mm. and and people are saying on the one hand well that's because of pollution in the ocean and others saying well it's just a half a degree increase in the ocean can cause that what what's your interpretation of that um you know being a being a disaster ecologist i think that's one of the descriptions <laughs> of you um is yeah, that indeed, is that yeah. all hogwash or what well, no, it's 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 not necessarily. I mean, I can't speak to that particular spot. You know, I don't know that particular spot, but I will speak to the idea that half a degree doesn't matter. Um, certainly, uh, you know, half a degree in your daily life doesn't seem like all that much, you know, daily, daily ups and downs, of course. But half a degree in the ocean actually represents an awful lot of wa- uh, of um, heat. Uh, our 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 world systems are, are pretty sensitive to those sorts of average baseline changes. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to write this book was uh, I think all, all of us have a hard time. And I mean, all of us have a hard time conceptualizing the scale of change that goes into um, global, global climate, you know, the scale of things that we're accomplishing because we have this sort of local perspective, right? We're just not very big, you know, that, that makes sense. Uh, you know, like right now, for example, the oceans are warming. Um, the amount of, if you calculate the amount of energy going into the ocean, it's about the equivalent of three to six atomic bombs per second. So, you know, we've been talking for 60 seconds. So that's 180 or so nuclear weapons that, you know, the equivalent of that much energy going into the ocean. So this little bit can make a really big difference, especially in the oceans, because the oceans are are fairly slow to change. Their their water, you know, buffers heat. It, it takes a lot to heat up water. It takes a lot to cool off water, and so changing it, like changing that baseline temperature, actually can do a quite a bit of work in terms of changing how the world works. Okay, so I mean, you're a you're a uh, an ecologist, an environmentalist. You this this book takes you what through lots of different ecosystems, and uh, <laughs> is the is the purpose to. I, well, I'm going to use the word. Is the purpose to alarm in a in a Greta is is a Thornburg way, or is the no. is the purpose to sort of inform and and have people begin to think about this in an effective way? And there's obviously there's some agenda in my question, right? Because yeah, I've yeah, talked to yeah. we've interviewed Stephen Coonan, who is a yeah. and you know a reasonable guy he wrote a book called unsettled and he says like look this cataclysmic the world's going to end in 11 years and you know we need to bring ourselves to our economic knees which could result in food insecurity and poverty like we've never seen well we're seeing it now with gas prices seven dollars a gallon in california and people can't afford to put food on their table where do you stand on the ecology and you know human contribution to climate change and what should be done about it a spectrum where are you there sure um this book is not meant to do the alarmist thing it really isn't that's not to say there isn't things to be alarmed about um the world is changing very fast and a lot of the things that are going to change and change our lives in dramatic ways we're actually already locked into they just they just occur or they develop slowly but the, the warming mm-hmm. is there for example sea level rise <clears throat> we're going to see sea level rise of one to four feet, even if we stopped everything now. So there's lots of things to be alarmed about, but that's not what this book is trying to do. I feel like people have tried to, the alarmist route to warn folks. Uh, I mean, this is what we try to do as, as scientists often is say, this is, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is a warning sure. in a way. 
and that hasn't really worked. <laughs> you know, the, the alarmist route hasn't, hasn't accomplished a lot. And so, and that's definitely not the point of this book. This, the point of this book really is to explain um, how climate and how environmental systems work at a, at a fundamental sort of baseline level, not complicated. There's not, there's no jargon in here. It's over half imagery so we can visualize it. Cause I have to approach it through imagery. I'm just a visual. Yeah, person. sure. Because I think when folks understand the basics of how the atmosphere works or how the oceans work in terms, in terms of, of climate, the, the, um, the implications of what we're doing to the world emerge naturally. Like, I don't need to preach about it. I don't think we need right. to, I think once, once the folks see, oh, right, this is sort of how it works then the implications of us adding carbon dioxide to the atmosphere, the implications of the warming ocean um, emerge on their own. And we don't need, you, you don't need a big science background to, to figure it out. Like it, it just becomes right. this sort of like, oh, right, well, that's going to happen. And sure. so we need to, you know, think about how to deal with it to, yeah. to head it off. Or we need to decide what sacrifices we're willing to make if we want to head it off yeah. or, or what we're going to do if we don't. You know, I, yeah. I want folks to be able to make informed thoughts about climate change but to do that right. you have to understand the scale of the problem and, sure. and so that's the point right. of this book is really right. talking about you know the the world at large in a visual way sure. not preaching not not well, alarming necessarily because i think once folks know what's going on right. they'll act well, um, well brian we've had a great conversation i i really thank you for that reasoned approach the book again is the atlas of a changing climate brian buma b-u-m-a you can get it on app on uh on amazon i am going to buy it because i want to use that to help inform my persuadable friends brian buma thank you so much appreciate it yeah thank you very much i appreciate it there he is. Well, that wraps it up for this week. Boy, we ran through it so quickly. Lots more to talk about next week. Have a great week this week. Be safe if you're on a deer stand. God bless you and God bless this country.